0: Father, we thank you for the word. Let it uh, bring light, illuminate our minds. Let it lift burdens. Let it break yokes. Let it challenge. Uh, let it be a soothing balm, Heavenly Father. Let it point us in the right direction. Let it do all these things and more in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. you know, um, in 21st century London, uh, the Western world, Um, There are some apps that are very popular, um, especially the apps uh, through which you can order food to be delivered. So that would be probably uh, Just Eats, uh, probably Deliveroo, um, and probably Uber Eats. I mean, there might be a few others. But this would be very popular, uh, especially with the younger generation, because, you know, just uh, at, at a tap, you know, you can order your food just, just, just tapping exactly what you want, and a lot of us would think that that's so modern. It just kind of is part of the whole new tech. It's part of the technological revolution. It's part of the things that have come with this age of technology. Well, I, I'm sorry to disappoint you, because if you if you go back thousands of years, you will find that. God had gone way ahead as usual of Just Eats, of Deliveroo and of Uber Eats and had a system that delivered food to his people every single day, morning and evening, not missing it once for 40 years. Um, you don't, you're not sure? Turn with me to Exodus, the 16th chapter. Exodus, the 16th chapter. I would love to read the whole story to you, but p- permit me to paraphrase it because uh, I'm conscious of time. But the children of Israel had, had left uh, Egypt, um, and by the second month uh, of their journey, uh, they suddenly found that they were without food. Of course, children the children of Israel, what did they do? They complained. They moaned. Um, they started to, to, to hallucinate and, and, and started to imagine things that never really existed. Listen to them. Listen to what they said. If only the Lord, verse 3, had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Can you imagine that? I mean, these were people who were slaves, they were walking in the, they were walking, they were they were they were working hard in the fields, they had taskmasters who drove them. Um, what time did they have to sit around pots filled with meat? And eating all the bread that they wanted but then that's what circumstances do as we will, as we will find out um, and, and the complaint so Moses goes to God uh, and God says well out of out of grace God says and we'll talk a bit more about this God says it's okay I'll make provision for them um, and God says go and tell them that it's okay I've heard, I've heard their cry I'll make provision for them and what provision God makes listen to verse 13. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it? They asked each other. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. And so they complained, there's no food. We're going to die. We were better off in Egypt. In fact, Egypt was a great place. We had so much meat. We had bread. We could eat all day. Um, Moses took their complaints to God. God said, "Okay, I will make sure I feed them." And God, God, miraculously, amazing provision, He started feeding them. And how did He feed them? In the evening, quail would fly over the over over the camp and would drop, literally, drop into the pots they had prepared for them. I mean, this is. Deliveroo at the most advanced stage. And then in the morning, um, once it was morning and the dew had evaporated, some flaky substance, that white flaky substance, uh, would just fill the camp. And they wondered, what is it? Um, And incidentally, the name it was given, manna, is really uh, the Hebrew translation of that phrase, what is it? So when they said, what is it? What they were saying was manna. And so the thing was called manna. And so God fed them morning and evening for 40 years, miraculously. Now, what's the overall moral of this story? It's, it's, it's really about God's provision, that God can, is able to provide for his people. That if he takes you on a journey, he has already planned into the journey, miraculous provision for you. So as we journey into God's promises, I want you to know that God has made provision for you in the same way he miraculously provided for the children of Israel. They had to do nothing. I mean, this in this day and age, you've got to get a phone. You've got to find the app. You've got to key in what you want into the app. When God's, When God takes over, you don't need anything. His provision is miraculous. And the message he was sending to us, is that I am more than able, I am God, I can provide for my children. Now a couple of lessons we learn from that and remember these are our journeys for us to learn lessons. A couple of lessons we well, more than a couple uh, some lessons we learn from that. Number one lesson is that there will be many circumstances in life that will ask the question what is really? In your heart, and you know why that is important, because when the Bible talks about the heart, it is not talking. The Bible is not talking about just the the place of emotions. The Bible is talking about the totality of man's beings, uh, your thoughts, your your what we would call your mind, your 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 emotions, That's the totality of the inner self of man, and so. Life circumstances will ask that question, what is really in your heart? As long as things are great, it is possible to pretend or to even deceive yourself that your heart is right. What determines what is really in your heart is when we hit some turbulence, when we encounter some difficulty, when we are faced with a trial, when things don't go how we expect them to go, It just has a way of showing up your heart. And you know how important the heart is? The Bible helps us understand how important that inner self, that heart is. In Proverbs 4, verse 23, the Bible says, So guard above all else, so guard guard your heart above all else, for it determines the cause of your life. What is inside there determines the cause of your life. How do I know how your life will go? If I could see into your heart, I can tell you how your life will go. Um, Another translation says, so above all, guard the affections of your heart. They affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being. How you respond, how you overcome, how you deal with, how you cope with, uh, how you relate, It all comes from your innermost being. And that's why the superficial focus is on the external. The the, 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 the depth, the substance really is hidden inside you. And what is inside you will always come out. Life circumstances will always reveal our hearts. Always reveal our hearts. The heart of the children of Israel was revealed in this story. And what was revealed from their hearts that they didn't trust God. They encountered a difficulty and they thought, God, you're going to let us down. You're not going to make provision for us. We're better off where we're coming from. How many times have our words or actions sent the same message to God? I don't trust you to protect. I don't trust you to provide. I don't trust you to guide. I don't trust you to make a way. We might not say it with words, But our actions sometimes speak louder than any words could. So every time we take matters into our hands, we are telling God, I don't trust you. So, number one, what is really in your heart? Number two, what do we learn from the the story of the children of Israel? We learn that we serve a God who is gracious. After they had challenged god they had you know literally uh, rebelled against moses god said it was him that they were rebelling against but then he didn't judge them he didn't uh, reprimand them he didn't deal harshly with them on the contrary he just went ahead and out of grace made provision for them exodus the 16th chapter and the fourth verse then the lord said to moses Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. You know, for you and I, if God showed them such grace and they they were not under the new covenant that you and I are under, they didn't have Jesus who had taking on their sins and become a sacrifice on the cross for them how much more will god not show you and i even more grace than he showed them is it any wonder that the bible says in hebrews the 4th chapter and the 16th verse let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in t- in in our time of need let us come to a gracious God who sits on the throne of grace and be guaranteed that we will get mercy and we will find grace to help us in our time of need. The story of the children of Israel tells us that God's response to his children will always be gracious. And I am certain that as you go through life challenges, every time you turn to God, his response will be gracious. And the third thing is that God makes provision He makes, number three, material provision. It's manna and quail. Like the Bible says in verses 13 and 14, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. The next morning around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. Now, think about it. They, they, They had no input into where the quail came from. It's actually quite a marvel. One day, you're you're standing outside and vast numbers of quail just start to come from from different directions, and they get over the camp and literally fall into the hands of the children of Israel for their meal. That is the kind of God you serve. He goes to great lengths to make provision for His children. He made material provision for them. Will you believe that He will make material provision for you? That's why the Bible encourages us to ask, give us this day our daily bread, because the God we serve wants to daily load his children with benefits. He's not a wicked father that is going to just withhold from you for the sake of withholding. No, he's a gracious, loving father that wants to make provision. I look at the children of Israel. They had been rebellious against him, and yet he graciously provided in a material manner for them. The quail that came in the evening and the frosty flakes that they found on the floor waiting for them. Breakfast served in the camp in the way that only God can. And I know that God will continue to make material provision for you. He also made spiritual provision for them. Also sorted out their soul. You ask me how? Number four, the provision of the Sabbath. Now, it was interesting because the, 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 the frosty flakes would come and the quail would come for five days. But then when you gathered the flakes, the frosty flakes on, on the sixth day, there was no provision on the seventh day, but there was more, more came on the sixth day so that you gathered for both the sixth day and the seventh day. Amazing. Isn't that God's provision? Because he didn't want them them working on the the Sabbath. And so he made provision for them so that they could rest on the Sabbath. And that's my fourth point, the principle of rest. They called it a Sabbath, but it was really a principle that God was putting in place that we also must find rest. We must find rest for our spirits in Christ where we enter a place of rest. We must find rest for our souls from the worries and the anxieties of life. Find things that help our souls into a place of rest. And we must find rest for our bodies, primarily sleep, but every form of rest that we can. To not do that is to abuse the grace that God has extended to us. And most of us are guilty of such abuse the frantic, frenetic pace of life, even in a lockdown, we are finding it difficult to rest. I want to encourage you, out of 365 days, 52 of those days were dedicated to rest. That's a significant number. And what was God saying? It is is as important, all that you do is resting is as important as all that you do. So please let me commend to us the rest of God in Christ. Enter a place of rest, a place of trust in Christ, a place where you know God is in control. Rest your spirit. Enter a place of rest for your soul. Free it from all these anxieties and worries and enter a place of rest for your soul. And then enter a place of rest for your body you know, fight for your rest. It's actually, in some cases, is like spiritual warfare. You've got to fight all the many distractions that the enemy brings your way to stop you from resting. Rest is one of the most significant things. Enshrined by God at the beginning of creation, abused by man to man's detriment. We all must enter that place of rest. Number five, the miraculous provision that God made had a purpose. Of course, the purpose was to meet a material need, meet a spiritual need, meet the need of the souls of man. But the ultimate purpose was to declare the glory of God. Why is God going to provide for you? Why is he going to make a way? Why is he going to turn it around? Why is he going to, going to sur- surprise all those who are watching by how he steps into your circumstance? Why is he going to make sure that that miraculous provision comes your way because his aim is to bring glory to himself. Listen to what Moses and Aaron said to the people, Exodus 16, verses 6 and 7. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening you will realize that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaints which are against him, not against us. What have we done that you should complain about us? What was he saying? He was saying, it really is all about God. And he's going to do it so that he can show you that he was the one who did it in times past, who brought you out of Israel, But that so that he can also show others the kind of God he is. It is all for his glory. And we have a role. Our role is to be trumpeters. Uh, to trumpet, to proclaim that this is the doing of the Lord so that we testify in that way. You know, the modern church is in danger of falling so far away from the lifestyle of proclaiming the goodness of God and the illustrious acts of God. It's almost like we have reached a point where we, we kind of feel a bit embarrassed about doing that. And that is such a shame. Because one of the things that endeared the psalmist David to God was that he was an expert at using every opportunity to point in God's direction and say, this is because of God. I hope you will repent as I am repenting and we will enter a season where we will become uh, megaphones and, and we'll become loudspeakers and we'll become, you know, instruments to proclaim the goodness of God, the mercies of God, the miracles of God, the illustrious acts of God. Can can someone in your home say amen to that? Amen. That we will become what we have heard called testifiers, that will testify of the goodness of God. How many times has God done it? And we have shared it in one or two places. Even as you're watching, how many many of us who are watching know that we should have told that story? We should have testified about that. God did that so that others can hear and others can be touched by our testimony as we tell of the wonderful works, the amazing deeds, the illustrious acts of this God that we serve. Let's repent of that and not join those who are falling away from a lifestyle that is central to our work as Christians. Amen and amen. Number six, and this is the big lesson in this whole thing. The big lesson is that God wanted us, wanted them and wants us to learn to depend on Him. And it's interesting that In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, exactly with very exact words, drives home this point. Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter and the 3rd verse. He gives the reason for that whole experience that they went through. He says, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone, rather we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So when we heard it, when Jesus said it, when he was being tried by Satan and told by Satan, uh, told, where Satan was tempting him when he was hungry to change stones to bread in Matthew, the fourth chapter, he was really saying the lesson that was learned from the experience of the children of Israel when God provided manna and quail for them. Because Moses says, he, he God, let them go hungry. If God knew that they were going to run out of food. Let's stop acting like our trials, our difficulties, our challenges catch God on our Like God suddenly woke up and thought, oh my, my daughter is suddenly facing a challenge. No, let's understand that God is God. He sees the end from the beginning. Before it even starts, he's finished. He has perfect knowledge and knows everything. He is God. It doesn't catch him unawares. That he allowed it to happen is simply because there's a lesson to be learned from it happening that will stand us in good stead as we press on into a deeper, more intimate relationship with him, as we journey into the promises that he has made for us. So Moses says, Yes. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. He allowed you to go hungry. And he knew that going hungry will bring some humility to you. Maybe there was a bit of pride. Maybe there was a lot of pride. And he needed to deal with that. He allowed the circumstances to come your way. And then he made provision in that. Just to teach you that he's the God who makes provision. Feeding you with manna. A food, Moses says, previously unknown to you and your ancestors. It wasn't that he recycled something. You know, I mean, a lot of us... We expect God to recycle things. That's why we box Him in. God, can you do it this way? But then what was Moses saying in effect? That God has a zillion ways to do it. Stop trying to make God do it the way He did it yesterday, the way He did it last year. Stop looking to the same place that the provision came from. God is so so much God that the provision can come from a place that is totally unknown to you. Moses says... It was unknown to you and your ancestors. It was brand new. And when we say that God will do a new thing, let's believe it's a new thing. And when we say he will make a way in the wilderness, it's never been done before. Rivers in the desert and on, on, something that is unknown. I pray that God will meet your need in a way that was previously unknown, in a way that you haven't expected. You were looking to the place it came from. And aren't we... Aren't we like that as human beings? But God says, I've chosen to do it another way. He goes on to say, he did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. What was God saying? The world has become materialistic. It's all about the material. God, of course, wants to provide material things. But God says the material things must not become an idol. If they become idols, then we end up worshiping them. And is it any wonder that we, people worship material things? They worship their homes, they worship their cars, they they worship their clothes, they worship designer labels. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but those things are things. They are material things. They They are not significant in that sense. And hasn't this lockdown proven exactly that fact that they are not significant? How many of us have worn any of the things that we would wear normally? Most of them are gathering dust in our wardrobes. And that's that's God's way of resetting the world and refocusing our values. And I hope we will not go back to that vomit, like a dog goes back to his vomit. I hope we all have become new in a sense as we enter a new normal. And that's what that's what that was the lesson God wanted to teach them. That you don't live by bread alone. You don't, you know yes you need material things. You can't of course walk around naked. You've got to wear clothes. Of course you need it. And you know, nice food is nice food is great. But those things are not what sustain you. Stop, stop living your life around those things. Stop determining your life by those things. Stop setting those things as your standard. Stop judging others by those things. That's what God was saying. God was saying, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Amen. That's what matters. And you know, um, Shala and I, we, we talked about a scripture A few days ago, that really struck us. Uh, James the fourth chapter uh, from verse 13. And I'll read the Passion translation, but whatever translation you're reading. Listen, those of you who are boasting, today or tomorrow we'll go to another city and spend some time and go into business and make heaps of profit. But you don't have a clue what tomorrow may bring. For your fleeting life is but a warm breath of air that is visible in the cold only for a moment and then vanishes. Instead, instead, you should say, our tomorrows are in the Lord's hands. And if he is willing, we will live life to its fullest and do this or that. But here you are boasting in your ignorance, for to be presumptuous about what you will do tomorrow is evil. You know, sometimes we we, we think some phrases are religious. When, when someone says, uh, oh, by God's grace, um, or oh, oh, if the Lord wills, I will do this. We think it's religious. No, it's not religious if the person is saying it based on understanding of truth. What is the person saying? The person is saying, my tomorrow, I genuinely don't know. It's in God's hands. And that's what that scripture says. That scripture says when we talk about tomorrow, plan for next year, and there is not a God factor in it, the Bible says it is boasting. And the Bible says that that a lot of times, sadly, we soon find out that we have no control over tomorrow and that we should have said what we said with our eyes on God, with our hope in God, with our trust in God, with our understanding that we have a tomorrow simply by the grace of God. We plan for next year simply by the grace of God and we include God in the plan, oftentimes by the manner that we make the statement concerning what we're planning. And In doing so, we we'll make it clear that this plan is totally dependent on the gracious God and on God allowing it to come to pass. So God wants us to be dependent on him. Anything else is, is independence. And independence is something that irritates God. It, 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 it causes God where a person declares independence. It brings the wrath of God on the circumstances on that person and that person. God allows circumstances to humble that person, and that is good because that's the best that you can get, to humble that person, to show that person that you do need God. And you know, it's interesting because God wants a dependence, not a yearly dependence, but a daily dependence. And again, that story teaches us that. Listen to this, verses 19 and 20. Then Moses told them, do not keep any of it until morning, but some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning but by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. Moses was very angry with them what was the, what was God trying to teach them? He was trying to teach them depend on me daily um, don't depend on yourself Now is God saying don't don't save, don't invest, don't plan no God is not saying that but God for you and I must be central to that savings, to the the investment, to the planning, to the thinking of tomorrow. It is all around God. And it is really, we are led by the Spirit, and and it's really for God in in the sense that we do it. All the glory is to Him, and it really is for Him. So the children of Israel, the instructions were clear. Every morning, you have to, you, you sleep at night, and in the morning, you come to get your provision. What was the lesson? depend on me daily guess what some wise people thought they would do they thought there's there's so much here why don't we take some and keep some it makes sense what were they saying to god just in case you don't show up tomorrow because we don't know you can decide you're not going to feed us tomorrow so we'll keep some wisely and isn't it interesting how people always say you know you have to have wisdom you know you can't do it like this you know you have to be wise God gave us a brain to be wise. Yes, He gave us a brain to be submitted to Him, and the wisdom is His wisdom led by the Spirit, not man's wisdom. So, with man's wisdom, they took some and kept it. Guess what? God showed them His God. When they went to get what they had kept, it had become full of maggots and was smelling. And what was God saying to them? Depend on me daily. You and I must depend on God daily. We wake up in the morning, we entrust our day to God. We depend on Him for everything for that day. And then verse 21, after this, the people gathered the food morning by morning, lesson learned, each family according to his need. And then listen as, as to, to what God did just to make sure. I, I, you, just, you just have to hand it to God. They would gather it each family morning by morning, now, of course, by the time they had gathered, they gathered what they would eat. There'd be some left over. Guess what? Some people would have thought, "Why don't we just take what is left over?" But as the sun came up and became hot, the things that were left over melted and disappeared. That's what the Bible said. God really wanted to teach them to depend on Him. May God give you the grace to depend on Him, to lean on Him, to trust in Him, to not trust in your own understanding, to acknowledge Him in all your ways, so that you invite Him to direct your path. In the in with in faced with the deepest trials, may your response n- not be to run to man, but to run towards God. May you learn that God is stable, God is strong. You can lean on Him; He can take your weight. May you allow God to carry you through those trials. May your go-to be to lift up your head and look to the hills from where your help help comes. Look up to God and depend on Him. May your cry always be, "My help comes from the Lord." Hallelujah. Amen. What wonderful lessons to learn from this this, uh, modern day delivery, uh, modern day just eats uh, God's app that he he set up way before apps came into being. And as we end um, the seventh thing. All this feeding with manna was also a deeper revelation. And Jesus gives us the key to that revelation in John the 6th chapter verses 32 and 33. Jesus said, I tell you the, the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world and then in verse 35 he makes it clear who that bread is i am the bread of life whoever comes to me will never be hungry again whoever believes in me will never be thirsty you know our journey is really about types and shadows and i remember one of my um, daughters who, are, who i really I, I really love very close to me asked me you know Pierre, what's this about types you keep saying types and shadows types and shadows So I thought I I should just explain that. Well, what is it about types and shadows? What it is, is really this. A lot of what the children went through were types or shadows of the substance or the reality that is expressed in you and I and our relationship with God. So you know how when you look at a shadow, It looks like the substance, but it's not the substance because the substance is casting the shadow. It's because of the substance that you see a shadow. So, the shadow gives you a form, but the substance gives you the reality. So, the the journey of the children of Israel was a type. It was a shadow, but the substance is experienced by you and I. So, the shadow points to the substance. The whole experience with manna and bread, Jesus was saying it wasn't about manna and bread per se. It was really a shadow and a type to point you to the bread of heaven, the bread that will come down from God. With the shadow, you ate the bread. It was physical, it was material, and you were hungry again. With the substance, you eat the bread, it's spiritual, and you never hunger again. Once you have Jesus, you don't have need for anything else. He fills the vacuum. Every other thing that comes is really a byproduct. So we we we, we take Jesus in, we eat the bread of life. That's what Jesus called himself. And when we eat the bread of life, The cravings for the things of this world disappear. Our hunger for material things progressively disappears for the things of this world. We use them, yes, but they don't become the center of our lives because we have eaten the bread of life. We have accepted Jesus as as our Lord and Savior. And so if there's anyone there who would love to eat this bread of life and not hunger again, not have a craving in you for all kinds of idols because you have enthroned Jesus in your life. And in doing that, you have given him room to make miraculous provisions for you on this journey. If you will just receive him into your life, he will do exactly that. Have you received him into your life? Have you eaten the bread of life? Is he your Lord and savior? Are you really a child of God? Have you accepted God as your father? All those questions, if you've answered them in the affirmative, congratulations. But if you can't answer them or you're not sure, why don't you invite him in and settle it once and for all? And if you want to invite him in, why don't you say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I invite your son Jesus into my life. I receive him today as the bread of life. Help me, Heavenly Father not to do anything that is displeasing to you. I was a sinner, but by grace, I I have become a child of yours today. I am born again, and your spirit will help me to live a life that will please you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into my heart and into my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Congratulations. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the household of God.